The Myths of Selling to the Government If you're using traditional sales techniques to sell to government, you're doing it wrong. The podcast is brought to you by Government Selling Solutions. Government Selling Solutions, selling and marketing to the government for years, quite successfully, thank you. Now, here's Rick. There's this fellow I used to work with who could articulate better and more clearly than anyone I know about what makes salespeople successful. David managed huge sales teams. He became general manager of the government business unit of a company that sold alert and notification systems. I was a sales manager. Holy moly, I learned a lot from Dave Hanna. He's retired now, but I coaxed him to the studio to talk about some things that he and I had spent hours and hours talking about, occasionally over a cocktail or two, but we were sober this particular afternoon. The topic turned to what really makes good government salespeople tick. In my mind, the best salespeople that I've been associated with are the people that are predominantly interested more in their customers than they are in themselves. Dave used to talk about that a lot when we were making personnel decisions. We've talked about this very same thing in past episodes. Remember that study we did on traits of top performers? It showed exactly this. Customers first, always. The study also showed that top government sales performers consider themselves to be people of integrity. Dave says that's the first thing you look for when hiring. Integrity. If you don't have that, you don't have it, and I can't teach it to you. We put some of our top, top salespeople through this assessment class, and they just failed miserably. Now, on all the other things, they did great, but honesty and integrity, they just went down the tubes. Listen, you can't lie to people under any circumstance. Second on Dave's list is competitiveness. And to him, it's not really about beating the competition. If that's all you want to do, that's easy to do. What you want to do is you want to have, uh, when, when you make a sale, you want to solidify that customer for as long as you can have them as a customer, not just beat the competition, because a lot of times that's, that's pretty easy to do. Davis says something pretty interesting about competitiveness. He says someone who's competitive knows how to figure out midstream what they need to do to change something, say in a game or a sales cycle. In sales, it would be in the middle of a sales cycle, they can kind of get an idea of what's going on in the person's mind. And so you want to be competitive enough to know what you need to do to get to the next step. Hmm. I had never thought of it that way, but it makes sense. A competitive person is always looking for a pathway to an advantage, a way to get where they want to go. This may be more true in government sales than anywhere else. Think about it. You're navigating a maze and dealing with a long sales cycle. You'd better be able to figure out what's going on so you can adjust, adapt, and overcome. Dave, who's managed teams with short sales cycles and with long, says in addition to competitiveness, confidence is important. Shorter sales cycles just have a tendency to get different levels of satisfaction. The longer the sales cycle, the more you need to be confident in what you're going to be doing, particularly if you're, you're going on commission. You need to have your pipeline, probably a bigger pipeline, and have it a little bit better defined than you would on a, on a shorter sales cycle. 
And you'd better pay attention. Think about our episodes on information objectives. So on a shorter sales cycle, as an example, let's say you wanted to get something on your house done, a roof, gutters, whatever. If you had that presentation and, and you, the next time the salesperson comes by and sees you have new house or your new roof or new gutters, they pretty much know that they haven't made that sale. Whereas when you're doing something longer term that's going to affect either citywide or corporate-wide things, you kind of have to stay more in touch with what's going on. We, of course, talk about growing a government sales pipeline in our podcast, our blog, our book, our coaching sessions. We talk about it a lot. Pipeline development involves a lot of things. But Dave says comes down to where we started, doing what's best for the customer. If you try to sell somebody something just because you want it to be sold, and ultimately it's not successful or not a successful program, you're not going to sell very many of those. It may work short term. So yes, I have run into people that were pretty good in short spurts, but over the long haul, the best salespeople I've been associated with always put their customers first. This from a man who's managed over 300 salespeople over a successful career. I look for them being at ease with the customer and looking to see what the customer truly might want as opposed to what you might want to sell them. I mean, it reminds me of if you want to go into the days of going into car dealerships, uh, some people were just intimidated going in there because the salesperson wanted to sell you something. Now, in, in today's environment, it's changed completely. The last time I went into a dealership, they were more concerned about what are you looking for? What do you want? What are you trying to accomplish as opposed to what I have in the lot going to sell you? And I think any good salesperson ultimately will put his customer's needs ahead of his or hers. So they're not going to recommend something for you because it benefits them. They're going to recommend something from you because it benefits you. But there's always the quest to fill the pipeline. You have to be aware of that. I, I can recall when I was a young salesperson, I was selling computers. My quota was to sell two in a year. And I had been getting close to selling this gentleman. And another guy wanted to know if I could come in in the morning. And I'm saying, sure. Well, back in those days, I had real leather binders with their name embossed on them. And it was a formal presentation because it was pricey for the day. So this guy calls me in and he wants to know how much it's going to cost. And I said, well, not to the penny, but it's going to cost roughly around $95,000. And he looks over at me and he says, okay, I'll take it. <laughs> I'm going, you will? And he just started to laugh. I did knock some expensive cross pencil set off his desk, but from... 40 years ago, I still remember that. But because of that, my adrenaline was high. I wanted to get to the second or see if I could cancel the second one. But the guy said, my lawyer's coming in here and my accountant's coming in here. So listen, just come on in. Okay, so I did. I went through the presentation. I went through all the things, answered all their questions. And because you got that adrenaline from early in the morning, they bought two. So now my annual quota was two. So I sold them in one day. I didn't have pipeline quick enough behind that. So the next probably three or four weeks was just cold calling and prospecting because I didn't think they were going to close in one day. 
but my objective was two for the year, but that doesn't mean it's going to stop if you do it in one day. But it just goes to show that, all right, once you got it in the close, it's off. You're going to have to, you're going to have to fill the pipeline. <laughs> now, that's not the first time I've heard that story. Although I don't think I've ever gotten a straight answer out of him when asked if he sold more that year. I appreciate Dave Hanna coming by, teaching me, and being a good friend over the years. If you have some questions you'd like for us to ask Dave, send me an email at rick at govselling.com. Oh, we've reached another download benchmark on myths of selling to government. And for that, I thank you. Today's episode has been brought to you by Government Selling Solutions. Government Selling Solutions. Getting government sold.